Hello? There we are. I was wondering about the, the new batteries we put in there for a second. I was thinking, hmm, kind of like the ones I keep at home. Anyway, good morning, El Paso Bible Church. Or those of you that are here, there must be a lot watching online or traveling in, into various locations and with family across the country. Anyway, uh, we're here the last Sunday before Christmas. And that brings me to an announcement, a reminder anyway, that uh, no children's church or Sunday school for Christmas or New Year's for the next two weeks or nursery. So everybody's going to be in here. All right. So there we go. That's uh, one announcement. Uh, the ladies' Bible studies on break. Uh, candlelight service uh, next week. You should uh, see that in your announcements. And everything else is everything else is on break. No, uh, no young adult Bible study on Christmas Day, of course. So anyway, if you want to open your Bibles uh, to uh, John chapter one, I'm going to be reading verses 14 through 18. And uh, after that, we'll have a special announcement about the uh, an update on our building. So let's start with, uh, with John chapter 1, and verse 14 reads, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is of the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And God bless the reading of the scripture. And now if I'll call on uh, Bill Holmes, the uh, chairman of our elder board, to give us an update on uh, the building and the parking and all the construction. Well, after 17 years, we are about to finalize this building next door. Uh, starting on Saturday, uh, they began the landscape and paving of that new section. And it's going to be paved in concrete this time. Um, oddly enough, uh, concrete is cheaper than uh, asphalt due to the energy situation. Um, the inside of the building is pretty much done. There's a few loose ends we still need to do there, but um, we're shooting for completion uh, sometime in late January, early February to where we can actually apply to get our uh, occupancy permit. So keep it in prayer. Uh, lots of things will be happening outside. Uh, the north side of the uh, entrance to the parking lot will be closed um, as they are working in that section. Um, so again, uh, please keep it in prayer and uh, just thank you for all your support. Thank you, Bill. Speaking of support, we don't, uh, we don't pass a basket for, for offerings, uh, you, you can freely give in the box in the back, 
Sometimes we fail to mention that as a reminder, but it's right there. Most people drop it in when they come or when they go. It's up to you. You can also give online. Uh, so, Anyway, let's pray together now, and we'll sing together and worship our Lord in both of those ways. Bow our heads, please. Father, we, we do pray to you. We come to you each, each day, many times each day, with our thoughts. And now we're formally coming to you in prayer as a congregation seeking your blessing upon us as a congregation, and I ask for your blessing upon each person individually here. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless our efforts to finish the building that we will eventually need here in the coming years to properly support the growth of our church. And we ask, Lord, for your blessing upon all of the efforts that we're making over there and might it be completed on a time, in a timely and safe fashion and get all the appropriate approvals from the city and other authorities that are necessary in order to, to give us occupancy. Lord, we also pray for those who are traveling not with us today for any number of reasons, even those who might be homesick and not well, not able to attend with us, but are probably attending online. Uh, we pray for those folks, Lord, that uh, they might be able to come and be with us next week, worship with us uh, uh, on those days when we'll be worshiping. We pray, Father, for your blessing upon this uh, service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Good morning. Would you stand with us for a time of worship?
Good morning. Good morning. Hope y'all are doing well. Y'all realize that uh, Christmas is one week from today, right? A unique opportunity that we have. Um, so, hope your preparations are going well. I would, uh, I just want to comment on something because I've had a number of people express, not in our church, but just in my circles, uh, that they are surprised that we are having church on Sunday. Um, 
next week. Um, I'm surprised that they're surprised. Can I say that? Is that the nice way of putting that? I'm surprised that they're surprised. Um, I do want to remind you that Christmas is not about your family, although I hope you enjoy your family on Christmas. Uh, Christmas is about the child that was born for us in order to die for us as our substitute in our place so that we do not have to shed our blood to have eternal life, but He did that for us. So by grace through faith, we can have eternal life. As He's a propitiation for all the sins of the whole world, and I hope we're going to join together and celebrate that together uh, next Sunday. Um, but also be kind, okay? Be kind to people who made a different choice. Can we say that? Is that okay? I, I did my best to be kind, not nice. Y'all know that's not how I roll. But kind, I do. I try that my best. Anyway, children, you guys can go to Children's Church as we continue. Uh, But I did want y'all to hear that part of the announcement because I think uh, that's important as well. Um, That's one of the reasons that we do Children's Church the way that we do it, guys. Um, It gives kids uh, a progressively increasing exposure to the church that will, the, the worship experience, if you will, the worship gathering that they will spend most of their life engaging in, if that, if that makes sense. My children's church is a relatively short experience, but as part of the church, this is more normal, right? So we want to do that. Anyway, technically, liturgically, it's not Merry Christmas time yet, but Merry Christmas. It's Merry Christmas anyway. It's Happy Advent right now. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're focusing on, on Advent themes, uh, not exactly intentionally. I didn't just stop and start talking about Advent, but that's what First John is about. It's about hope, joy, love, uh, those things that are traditionally the purview of Advent. But we're going to continue here in First John uh, chapter 4. And we get to the point in a book, uh, and First John is a difficult book as it is, but we get to a point in a book where we can't review everything, right? So, but we're going to try to review the, the high spots, the, the turning points, if you will. Uh, as we're talking about this, we do need to remember that we're talking about fellowship in First John, and that fellowship is not the same as your justification. Uh, justification is achieved in a moment. It's not a process. It is something that you trust in Jesus Christ for. You receive it as a gift by grace, through faith. Uh, Fellowship is the process, essentially, of living your life free from discipline as a child of God. And that is a process, right? I hope that you discipline your children. Parents, do you discipline your children? I hope that also you find as they grow up, you have to do that less. Yes? No? Hopefully, eventually, Eventually they hit 40, and then it's not your problem, right? Way before that, it's actually not your problem, right? But, but people treat 18-year-olds like they're only half-grown-ups. Um, progressively less and less time um, under uh, disciplinary measures. Is that okay? Is that a okay way to say that? Um, I think it is. I think that's pretty close. Right? And fellowship is the experience of the fullness of joy. Now, you may grow in your life as a child, somebody else's child, right, to appreciate the discipline that your parents gave you, right? Yes? Are any of y'all at that point? I I certainly am. Um, My children are at the point, my oldest sons have told me repeatedly, they appreciate my creativeness 
and discipline, which I'm not sure is the exact same thing. I'm not sure how to take that exactly, but they, uh, yeah, they, they think that I'm rather artistic in some ways, uh, my disciplinary measures. But I'm not sure that they've come to do that. But understand that you're not ever, you don't rejoice in discipline. That's not the same thing, right? Yes? Yay, I get a spanking. Nobody. Nobody. That's not what it's for. That's not what discipline is for. Discipline is uh, in order, given in order to develop less need for discipline. That's what it's for. It's not given for you to rejoice over. You may grow to appreciate it, but that's not the same thing. That's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to experience fellowship, greater increasing joy in life and in fellowship with each other um, as children of God, living life together. And we... We live together, right, as a group of people known as the church that collectively and individually we can look forward to a day when we will see Jesus as he truly is. That's what John tells us in chapter 3 here, that we will see him as he truly is. And that's going to be great, isn't it? But it gets better. When we see him as he truly is, we will be like him. We will be like him. We will be in perfect fellowship in the likeness of Jesus in that day. We live with that expectation. That's an Advent expectation, by the way. That's traditionally what people are looking forward to is that coming of Christ and being with Him. And that hope that we have allows us to live life differently than the world around us. John tells us here that anyone who has this hope sanctifies himself, that you live your life agreeably, appreciatively, and expectantly, I guess you would say, differently than somebody who doesn't have that same hope. That's important. You should be, that shouldn't be surprising to you. We should live our lives that way. We should not be surprised when the world hates us, is one of the ways that John put that. It's remarkable, right? The world uh, walks around. You can see it, you see it in, uh, in high schools. You can see it in all sorts of aspects of communities, but I, it, it's very stark, right? That what is everybody trying to do as a teenager or as a young adult now? I, do we even recognize teenagers anymore? Because we've got children that are like 28. But like, what, are they, what are they all trying to do? They're all trying to be unique. They're all trying to be different. They're all trying to be not like things that went before. What, what ends up happening as you watch them in a crowd? Did that work? I mean, maybe I'm just being a grumpy old man. But they all kind of look the same, don't they? It actually creates hum, a homogenous crowd of people. Is it any wonder that somebody who is trying, that a group of folks that are trying to create their own uniqueness that ends up like that is going to hate people that don't, that don't look the same? They don't look like that. Because we're not striving to be unique. We end up, we're, we're unique. We don't demand homogenous appearances, behaviors, speech. 
You don't, in other words, you don't have to talk like Pastor Josh, and you probably shouldn't. People don't understand me all the time. You don't have to look like each other. You don't have to talk like each other. You don't have to act like each other. We're pursuing Christ's likeness, right, in fellowship with each other. And the blessing of that is that it allows for our personalities to be manifest in godly ways. And it doesn't look all the same. But the world hates us when we're doing that. We don't think about it that much. But the world, we might want to use that to take our temperature as to how we're doing, actually, I guess is a way to talk about it. We, we need to, if the world isn't hating us very much, we ought to see how, how much our fellowship and our joy is growing. Having fellowship with each other, whether we fulfilled our obligations to each other. And John does talk about it that way. He says, this is a debt that you have to love each other. Have fellowship with each other. Have we confessed our sins that we have committed? Uh, we may need to stop every once in a while, press a pause button, and, and make sure that we are loving each other in deeds and in truth or in works and honesty. You could say here in First John, that's what we talked about recently. Uh, we should not be deceived by thinking that we are living a life that is pleasing in God's sight, but not loving each other that way. And that's a difficult task, really. And that's where John told us, even just last week in those final two verses of chapter 2, that when uh, the way that we live a life that is pleasing in His sight, make decisions that are pleasing in His sight, is that first we as believers, as children of God, believe in the name of Jesus Christ. We believe in the power and the authority that that conveys in our lives. That we believe that what He has asked us to do, commanded us to do. That sounds like that scene in Top Gun, right? They're called orders. <laughs> They're called orders. They're orders from Jesus. He's commanded us to do it. That when He commands us to do something, He is not setting us up for failure. That He has given us the power and the authority to do what He has commanded us to do. And I find myself doubting that sometimes. Do you? I don't have what it takes to love that person. Some people over the years, I'm sure, have said that about me. I don't have what it takes to love Josh the way Jesus does. I know that's happened. And I know I've said it about others who are believers, who are children of God, who I'm going to spend eternity with in fellowship with Jesus Christ, and I'm going to have to admit that I fell down there. I didn't believe in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ to that extent. We need to believe in His name and the power of it. it. Provides us the wisdom and the ability to do what He desires us to do. That's the name that we bear. And we do need to pray for each other, pray expectantly that we will receive what we need in order to live that way. Now, there's a transition here at the end of chapter 3. And, uh, and Priscilla mentioned to me last week, and this was intentional, but I didn't make it clear that it was intentional. She mentioned, you didn't really talk about the Spirit at the end of that verse. And I ought to clear, we ought to remember, right, that the verses aren't part of Scripture, right? 
When John wrote this down, he did not stop. Y'all don't do that in letters, do you? Do you still write letters? Anybody? You still write letters? Okay, you write letters. Do, do you put verse numbers in it? No. In your email, in your text, whatever. Do you put versification numbers in it? No, those are added a long time later. So sometimes they break it up in weird ways. And I don't think that the last part of verse 24 of chapter 3 actually goes with chapter 3. I think it goes with chapter 4, verse 1, which is talking about the Spirit and the Spirit's work. And so, yeah, we didn't cover that in depth because I think it actually goes with the following material. Uh, And that verse break ought to be backed up a little bit. So we should believe in the name of Jesus Christ. But verse 1 here says this, we, well, back up. We know that by this, at the end of verse 24, we know by this that He abides in us, the Spirit whom He has given us. In other words, the Spirit that indwells us gives us an experiential knowledge of where we are as far as living our lives pleasing, in a manner pleasing to Jesus Christ. We need to believe in the power of the name of Jesus Christ like that. We need to embrace the experiential knowledge of that. But then in verse 1 of chapter 4, see how it fits. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. You only need to believe one spirit. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You need to believe in one spirit. You need to embrace the knowledge and the truth of one spirit, the spirit of God. And we're not talking about ghosts here. We talked a little bit about uh, divination and sorcerers and mediums. Y'all missed out in Sunday school, most, some of y'all. We talked about all that in Sunday school, how that was not supposed to be a feature of the Israelite nation when they entered into the land. All right, we're not talking about that sort of thing. We're not even talking about Casper the Friendly Ghost, right? Did y'all ever watch that show? Um, so he's not presenting his normative, right, that you would engage a translucent spiritual being in your bedroom, Right? You're supposed to give that spirit a quiz. Because that's not how you engage the Spirit of God, is it? The Spirit of God indwells you. I engage it to some degree when I engage with another believer in Jesus Christ. The words that they speak to me can be either from the Spirit of God or not. They can be from the flesh. They can be from one that is spiritual. They can be from one, another human being, a different human being that is an unbeliever. And that's what he presents this as when you are engaging the spirits that are in the world, that the way that you engage them primarily is when you engage or interact with or hear a false prophet. False prophet. Those are the spirits that you're going to engage with. You don't have to go to a seance, in other words. So, like, if you just say, well, I, I, don't, I don't go. Uh, who was it? Psychic Lynn? Over there by Hobby Lobby for years and years and years? Some people are, well, I don't go. I don't go to places like that. I don't have to worry about this command, right? I don't. Well, anyway, the number of times that she's moved around Canutillo and El Paso means that she doesn't have a lot of foresight, I think about how her business is going to go. So you may want to question her credibility anyway. Seems like she has a hard time with that, whoever she is. 
No, because you can run into the spirits that are in the world in the form of false prophets without seeking them out, right? It's not like when Saul went to the medium and, wanted, and ended up getting scared half to death because Samuel showed up and called him to account. It's not only that. I guess it could be that as well. Do not believe every spirit that comes in the form of teaching from a false prophet. You should test them. You should test them, he says. There are many in the world. There are many in the world that hates us, by the way. It all goes together. And they're out there in that form. What John is saying of these false prophets here is that they are inspired, empowered, driven, guided by worldly, demonic spirits. That's what a spirit does when Scripture talks about it. It's the, the thing that empowers and animates a being. By a spirit that's not God's spirit, or God's spirit, excuse me, Lots of spirits here, but only one spirit of God. So you ought to test those. Now, listen, there are a lot of, there's a lot of bad teaching from the Bible out there. Incompetence does not make a false prophet, okay? Foolishness, because there's a lot of foolish teaching out there, right? Somebody being foolish does not necessarily make them a false prophet. Somebody being ignorant or lazy or stupid. All of which I've run into is in vocational pastoral ministry of people that thought that I was nuts to waste my life teaching phrase by phrase and verse by verse out of the Bible. Um, all of those things might make you a bad teacher. They might make you an inadequate teacher, but they may not make you a false prophet, right? He gives us the test. The test has only one, really one question, uh, and it's not whether somebody's ignorant or lazy or foolish or stupid. There's one thing. It's a doctrinal thing. It's a doctrinal test. We don't, we don't have a doctrinal test for you to come to El Paso Bible Church. We do have a doctrinal agreement uh, for if you want to be a member of El Paso Bible Church. But it has a lot more material on it than this one. This one is just singular. It says, by this, I'm sorry, excuse me. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, you remember the word confess, right? We talked about that in chapter 1 of 1 John. Confess means to agree or to say the same things as, agree with Jesus' testimony about himself. There is the title. There is Jesus, right? And we know that that is Jesus of Nazareth. His genealogy, humanly speaking, is given in the Gospels. It extends back to the Old Testament genealogies, to that of David, and back to the first man, Adam. That connection is there. It is a biologically identifiable human lineage. He is the Christ, the anointed one, 
the chosen one, the king who has come in the flesh. It's a specific doctrine. Right? There, there are lots of doctrines. And there are a lot of doctrines that you can disagree about without being a false prophet. You might be mistaken. That's another thing that doesn't make you a false prophet. Being mistaken about whether, for instance, it's kind of an, some important doctrines. Israel versus the church. Do you think that the church has now replaced Israel in God's plan? That's a severe error, but it doesn't make you a false prophet according to this standard. But the fact that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ, the anointed one who fulfills the covenants made to Israel and will fulfill the covenants made to Israel and the church, all of the promises of God are yes in him, Paul tells us. It's a shorthand for understanding the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's important. That's the key. That is the line that John presents as making the difference between error and somebody who is a false prophet. The, it, it, it's largely about the motivation. A false prophet intends to deceive somebody. Or somebody who is in error needs to be corrected. A false prophet needs to be denounced and rebuked firmly. And that's the line. The Spirit of God confesses the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That means that he is not flesh, by the way, intrinsically. He has come in the flesh. He was incarnated in the flesh. That's what we're celebrating. So, yeah, it's amazing. We get a Christmas sermon out of 1 John. Y'all ever we got one that he's come in the flesh. That's the incarnation. That's the middle candle. That's when we're going to light that one. Is the exact moment that we read that text as a reminder of what has happened. He is not intrinsically, essentially flesh, but he has come in the flesh in order to do the work that he was given to do to take that on. False prophets don't confess that. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus in that manner, we're to understand, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. John's already said that, right? That there are many Antichrists that have gone out into the world. There are many in the form of false prophets. Making a connection to earlier material here. They do not confess this about Jesus. Teachers that do are identified with Christ because they acknowledge the person and the work of Jesus Christ in their fullness, the things that Jesus claimed for himself. It's a holistic thing. Now, it's not just that Jesus of Nazareth walked on the earth. And here's why. Because if you don't think that Jesus of Nazareth walked on the earth, you're an idiot. Nobody disagrees with that. 
There is so much more evidence that Jesus of Nazareth walked on the face of the planet than any of the presidents of the United States. It's not even funny. You, do y'all all believe that Joe Biden is currently extant on the face of the planet? That he's actually there? I'm not talking about mentally. Physically, is he actually on the planet and he's walking around? He's here. Okay, so you're not idiots, right? You all believe that Jesus of Nazareth is a historical being that walked on the face of the planet, right? That's, that, that's not the standard, right? In other words, there's doctrine that's being communicated when we use his personal name, his title, the anointed one, the chosen one, the unique one, the, and that he has come in the flesh that was not an essential part of who he was in eternity past. That he has come in the flesh. And it was in the flesh that he has done the work that God has given him to do. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And confessing with him, agreeing with his testimony, is the mark of spirit that is of God. Uh, it, it's a common refrain in Scripture. We're not going to look at all of them, but 1 Timothy 3.16 says this, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, and believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. That's part of his person, his work, the things that make him trustworthy. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In First Peter, that is intrinsic. The flesh is what allowed him to die on our behalf. He has come in the flesh. He could not have done that work without the Incarnation. Failing to, to confess that singular point is is a failure to confess Jesus Christ in any meaningful biblical way. Most of, most of the false teaching in the history of the, since Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father that has surrounded Jesus Christ has essentially made Jesus into merely an example to follow. That is not how the Bible presents Jesus. You are not asked to do what Jesus did. That's kind of the point. Right? I mean, you can, we ask what would Jesus do, and what we mean is did Jesus love his enemies? Did Jesus love his enemies? Yes, he did. When he called them whitewashed tombs, he was loving them. When he, when he denounced them, when he spoke harshly against them and told them to shape up or ship out, he was loving them, Right? But the work of Jesus Christ is not something that you were ever intended to do. The whole point was that you couldn't do it. You needed a substitute. You needed Christ to die in your place so that you could live. The, the tragedy is, is that functionally, so many places that are called churches treat Jesus the same way that all of those heresies treated him. They don't talk about what Jesus did for you and for me. They don't talk about the, the essential sacrifice that is required that we would experience the great love that God has exhibited towards us so that we could be called children of God. It's insane. 
to treat him any other way. Meaningless. There are many teaching those things. The spirit of the Antichrist thrives, thrives on apathy towards the person of Jesus Christ. Thrives on apathy and pragmatism. What can I do to follow Jesus' example today? The first thought that should go through your mind when you think of who Jesus is is what he has done for you and for me and for us. But there are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. Many. The spirit of the Antichrist is in them. They have, in a sense, I guess, the numbers. They're in the world. They're already there. Um, You all know that I'm I joke about this, but it is true. I'm basically half hillbilly. And my hillbilly side of my family uh, would say, you couldn't throw a rock into a crowd without hitting a false prophet. They're everywhere. All over. People who functionally either deny that Jesus is who he is or they completely ignore that in any aspect of teaching in Scripture that they, that they do. can be intimidating because they are, there are many in the world, and y'all remember that the world hates us, or at least, okay, the world does hate us, but the functional part is, is that you shouldn't be surprised when the world hates you. That's when you're going to be caught off guard. That's when you're going to be off balance, when you forget and therefore are surprised when the world hates you and me. says, verse 4, though, you, and you can read there, we, if you want, collectively, you are of God or from God, out of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Statutorily, the victory is already decided because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Singular the source of all that false prophecy and all those false teachings that deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and the person and the work of who who He is and what He has done for us. That's a perfect tense. It means it's already been done, completed, signed, sealed, delivered. A roommate of mine in college once was very excited about the gift he was going to give his father for his birthday. This is when I knew that I was not among my people. My roommate bought his father a Mercedes SUV. And I use that phrase loosely. He bought his father. He basically went through the catalog and spent his dad's money (laughs) on the Mercedes SUV without his knowledge, and it showed up complete with car payment. 
That is how a lot of people treat their gift of eternal life, right? Yeah, it's a gift, but I've got to keep paying for it. No. Who you are in Christ is already done. In the perfect tense, it is done. You have overcome the world. Simply now, you are to enjoy who you are. Rest in who you are. Do what he says to do, to abide. But you do not have to be burdened by uncertainty. Isn't that a welcome relief? Men, especially. Women, too. I'm not leaving you out. But I don't know. Never having been a woman, right? I know it's 2022, but I haven't flipped that switch, you know. Just can't decide. I don't, I'm not in your head, but man, I know that. You are not. Well, maybe, maybe, okay. Well, there may be some narcissists. Who knows? Who listening to this thing? You may have no lack of confidence in your life at all. Do you wake up every day confident of having victory over the things that are going to face you in the day? Well, women, you can. Yeah, no, we don't do that. That's not given to us in the little bitty things, but in the big picture and the victory that we will have, we can have confidence that He has won it for us because greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. When we wake up in the morning, we are winners. And I'm not using that in the flaky sense that you hear about all over the world. We are victors, overcomers over the world. It's already won. Whatever it looks like, however you feel, you see the world in their own little echo chamber listening to the false prophets that have invaded their ranks, proclaiming their own victory, and don't you fall for it. If we have already won, they have already lost. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. It's kind of a, one of those mutual admiration societies. It's, um, one time I, re I received an invitation to apply for a, a well-known club that was based on, uh, basically on your IQ. I declined on the, was it Groucho Marx said, I wouldn't want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member. I think it was one of the Marx brothers said that back in the day. Not Karl Marx. Some of y'all are getting really concerned there. Other Marx brothers, you wouldn't know. I don't join mutual admiration societies. They just pat each other on the back as a function of being part of this club. And that's what the world is here. They speak the same things to each other. They appreciate those, those words, and they keep in circular motion, just keep repeating it, and they pat each other on the back for their victories and their wins. They have a lot of W's that they've written in their own column. But we have one in Christ. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. He says, we are of God. We are from God, out of God, sourced in God. He who knows God listens to us. In other words, this is, you need to discern the Spirit 
in order to have a continuing relationship with the edification that comes from the Word being taught from the Spirit of God. There's a test to determine who you're going to listen to, and that is that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. If they don't teach that, turn the channel off, right? Turn that, the volume off. Don't listen. But he says it wants you as a believer, and you've identified who you're going to listen to, then you need to continue to grow. You need to continue to listen and to grow and to be edified in the Word and in fellowship with other believers. And he who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You discern those things. So we've been, we've been talking about it as we've gone, but how do we apply that truth exactly? <clears throat> I think that a lot of times that you and I functionally suppress the encouragement in Scripture in our own lives. We, we kind of suppress it. You don't want to hear. Sometimes when you're really in the throes of difficulties in life, maybe, maybe I'm weird like this. Does it surprise you if I'm weird? It shouldn't. I'm weird. But I find myself this. When, when I am in my pity party moment, pity party day often happens on Mondays for whatever reason, I can actually get angry at people who try to encourage me. Have you ever had that happen? You, you just, you get angry because you want to be left alone to wallow in your own pity party even when somebody comes to you with the promises of Scripture. God forbid, man. I'm admitting to you that I have that tendency. Uh, some of y'all are smiling pretty big for people that don't have that tendency. No one's going to actually nod their head because this isn't Christianese, man. This is not like, you know, if you're super Christian, you don't admit to that kind of stuff. I'm telling you right now, I'm not a super Christian. Um, I am a, a little child that needs to grow. We need to accept the encouragement of Scripture that the greatness of Christ has guaranteed us victory over the world. And it's already been won. We need to be encouraged because we already have that. We are, we are victors. We are victors. Overcomers. And we need to also be encouraged that we can continue based on this principle, to grow in our discernment of truth from error, to grow on the same trajectory that we started out on. See, this is something that really gets me uh, sometimes. Even people that have been raised in a church that took the Bible seriously, that taught it regularly week in and week out, day in and day out, whose pastor believed that it was the truth and the very words of God inspired and written down by others who are moved along, right, by the Spirit, all, the, all of the biblical truths that surround Scripture. And then in order to be sophisticated, fashionable, or just downright sexy in people's perceptions, they go and blow it all and just abandon the thing because they begin to doubt that the truths that they have been taught were in fact true. And rather than investigating them more fully and growing more fully in that same trajectory, they just shoot it all and just embrace the world and the false prophets that are in it. I want you to be encouraged that today you and I don't know everything. 
Amen? We don't know everything. I don't know everything. Y'all can stump the dummy any day of the week if you want. My kids make a pretty good habit of it with their great doctrinal... They do. They ask great questions most of the time. That doesn't sound encouraging, but, but John tells us, he says, you can continue to grow on that trajectory, having, being able to identify the Spirit of God and the teaching of God's Word. You can continue to grow, and that is the path of discernment, not to abandon it and go off on some other trajectory. It's a tremendous encouragement. We can carry on and persevere because we're winners. And God has given us everything that we need to do what He's told us to do today. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Word. We thank You for Your Word as a whole. We thank You for this Word in First John. For the hope the expectant, sure hope that we have, knowing that you have already won the victory and that we should live this life encouraged and growing faithfully in perseverance, understanding the truths of your word. We love you and we thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. He will dismiss with a song. Eventually.